the lady rustic by alexander pushkin this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. reading by matt Perard. the lady rustic by alexander pushkin in one of our distant provinces was the estate of ivan petrovitch Barastov. as a youth he served in the guards but having left the army early in seventeen ninety seven he retired to his country seat and there remained he married a wife from among the poor nobility and when she died in childbed he happened to be detained on farming business in one of his distant fields his daily occupation soon brought him consolation he built a house on his own plan set up his own cloth factory became his own auditor and accountant and began to think himself the cleverest fellow in the whole district the neighbors who used to come to him upon a visit and bring their families and dogs took good care not to contradict him his workaday dress was a short coat of velveteen on holidays he wore a frock coat of cloth from his own factory his accounts took most of his time and he read nothing but the senatorial news on the whole though he was considered proud he was not disliked the only person who could never get on with him was his nearest neighbour grigory ivanovitch Maromsky, a true russian baron he had squandered in moscow a large part of his estate and having lost his wife as well as his money he had retired to his sole remaining property and there continued his extravagance but in a different way he set up an english garden on which he spent nearly all the income he had left his grooms were english liveries and english governess taught his daughter he farmed the land upon the english system but foreign farming grows no russian corn so in spite of his retirement the income of grigory ivanovitch did not increase even in the country he had a faculty for making new debts but he was no fool people said was he not the first landowner in all that province to mortgage his property to the government a process then generally believed to be one of great complexity and risk among his detractors Beristov, a thorough hater of innovation was the most severe in speaking of his neighbors anglomania he could scarcely keep his feelings under control and missed no opportunity for criticism to some compliment from a visitor to his estate he would answer with a knowing smile yes my farming is not like that of grigory ivanovitch i can't afford to ruin my land on the english system but i am satisfied to escape starvation on the russian obliging neighbors reported these and other jokes to grigory with additions and commentaries of their own the anglomaniac was as irritable as a journalist under this criticism and wrathfully referred to his critic as a bumpkin and a bear relations were thus strained when Beristov's son came home having finished his university career he wanted to go into the army but his father objected for the civil service young Beristov had no taste neither would yield so young alexis took up the life of a country gentleman and to be ready for emergencies cultivated a moustache he was really a handsome fellow and it would indeed have been a pity never to pinch his fine figure into a military uniform 
and instead of displaying his broad shoulders on horseback to round them over an office desk ever foremost in the hunting field and a straight rider it was quite clear declared the neighbors that he could never make a good official the shy young ladies glanced and the bold stared at him in admiration but he took no notice of them and each could only attribute his indifference to some prior attachment in fact there was in private circulation copied from an envelope in his handwriting this address a m p care aculina petrovna kirotchkina opposite alexiev monastery those readers who have not seen our country life can hardly realize the charm of these provincial girls breathing pure air under the shadow of their apple trees their only knowledge of the world is drawn from books in solitude and unrestrained their feelings and their passions develop early to a degree unknown to the busier beauties of our towns for them the tinkling of a bell is an event a drive into the nearest town an epoch and a chance visit a long sometimes an everlasting remembrance at their oddities he may laugh who will but superficial sneers cannot impair their real merits their individuality which so says jean paul is a necessary element of greatness the women in large towns may be better educated but the leveling influence of the world soon makes all women as much alike as their own headdresses let not this be regarded as condemnation still as an ancient writer says not a nostro manet it may be imagined what an impression alexis made on our country misses he was the first gloomy and disenchanted hero they had ever beheld the first who ever spoke to them of vanished joys and blighted past besides he wore a black ring with a death's head on it all this was quite a new thing in that province and the young ladies all went crazy but she in whose thoughts he dwelt most deeply was lisa or as the old anglomaniac called her betty the daughter of grigory ivanovitch their fathers did not visit so she had never seen alexis who was the sole topic of conversation among her young neighbors she was just seventeen with dark eyes lighting up her pretty face an only and consequently a spoilt child full of life and mischief she was the delight of her father and the distraction of her governess miss jackson a prim spinster in the forties who powdered her face and blackened her eyebrows read pamela twice a year drew a salary of two thousand roubles and was nearly bored to death in barbarous russia lisa's maid nastia was older but quite as flighty as her mistress who was very fond of her and had her as confident in all her secrets and as fellow-conspirator in her mischief in fact no leading lady played half such an important part in french tragedy as was played by nastia in the village said nastia while dressing her young lady may i go to-day and visit a friend yes where to the barostops it is the cook's names day he called yesterday to ask us to dinner then said lisa the master's quarrel and the servants entertain one another and what does that matter to us said nastia i belong to you and not to your father 
you have not quarrelled with young Beristop yet let the old people fight if they please nasty try and see alexey Beristop. come back and tell me all about him nasty promised lisa spent the whole day impatiently waiting for her in the evening she returned well lizabetha grigorievna she said as she entered the room i have seen young Beristop. i had a good look at him we spent the whole day together how so tell me about it certainly we started i and anisa yes yes i know what then i would rather tell you in proper order we were just in time for the room was quite full there were the zaharyevskys the steward's wife and daughters the shlapenskys yes yes and Beristov. wait a bit we sat down to dinner the steward's wife had the seat of honour i sat next to her and her daughters were huffy but what do i care oh nastya how tiresome you are with these everlasting details how impatient you are well then we rose from table we had been sitting for about three hours and it was a splendid dinner party blue red and striped creams then we went into the garden to play and kiss in the ring when the young gentleman appeared well is it true is he so handsome wonderfully handsome i may say beautiful tall stately with a lovely colour really i thought his face was pale well how did he strike you was he melancholy and thoughtful oh no i never saw such a mad fellow he took it into his head to join us at kiss in the ring he played at kiss in the ring it is impossible no it's very possible and what more do you think when he caught anyone he kissed her of course you may tell lie if you like nasty as you please miss only i am not lying i could scarcely get away from him indeed he spent the whole day with us why do people say then that he is in love and looks at nobody i am sure i don't know miss he looked too much at me and tanya too the steward's daughter and at pasha too in fact he neglected nobody he is such a wild fellow this is surprising and what do the servants say about him they say he is a splendid gentleman so kind so lively he has only one fault he is too fond of the girls but i don't think that is such a great fault he will get steadier in time how i should like to see him said lisa with a sigh and why can't you tagalovo is only a mile off take a walk in that direction or a ride and you are sure to meet him he shoulders his gun and goes shooting every morning no it would never do he would think i was running after him besides our fathers have quarrelled so he and i could hardly set up a friendship oh nastya i know what i'll do i will dress up like a peasant that will do put on a coarse chemise and a seraphon and set out boldly for tagalovo Barostov will never miss you i promise you i can talk like a peasant splendidly oh nastya dear nastya what a happy thought and lisa went to bed resolved to carry out her plan next day she made her preparations she went to the market for some coarse linen some dark blue stuff and some brass buttons and out of these nastia and she cut a chemise 
and a seraphim all the maid-servants were set down to sew and by evening everything was ready as she tried on her new costume before the glass lisa said to herself that she had never looked so nice then she began to rehearse her meeting with alexis first she gave him a low bow as she passed along then she continued to nod her head like a mandarin next she addressed him in a peasant patois simpering and shyly hiding her face behind her sleeve nasty gave the performance her full approval but there was one difficulty she tried to cross the yard barefooted but the grass stalks pricked her tender feet and the gravel caused intolerable pain nasty again came to the rescue she took the measure of lisa's foot and hurried across the fields to the herdsman trophim of whom she ordered a pair of bark shoes the next morning before daylight lisa awoke the whole household was still asleep nastia was at the gate waiting for their herdsman soon the sound of his horn drew near and the village herd straggled past the manor gates after them came trophim who as he passed handed to nastia a little pair of speckled bark shoes and received a rouble lisa who had quietly donned her peasant dress whispered to nastia her last instructions about miss jackson then she went through the kitchen out of the back door into the open field then she began to run dawn was breaking and the rows of golden clouds stood like courtiers waiting for their monarch the clear sky the fresh morning air the dew the breeze and singing of the birds filled lisa's heart with childlike joy fearing to meet with some acquaintance she did not walk but flew as she drew near the wood where lay the boundary of her father's property she slackened her pace it was here she was to meet alexis her heart beat violently she knew not why the terrors of our youthful escapades are their chief charm lisa stepped forward into the darkness of the wood its hollow echoes bade her welcome her buoyant spirits gradually gave place to meditation she thought but who shall truly tell the thoughts of sweet seventeen in a wood alone at six o'clock on a spring morning and as she walked in meditation under the shade of lofty trees suddenly a beautiful pointer began to bark at her lisa cried out with fear and at the same moment a voice exclaimed to follow sugar isi and a young sportsman stepped from behind the bushes don't be afraid my dear he won't bite lisa had already recovered from her fright and instantly took advantage of the situation it's all very well sir she said with an assumed timidity and shyness i am afraid of him he seems such a savage creature and may fly at me again alexis whom the reader has already recognized looked steadily at the young peasant i will escort you if you are afraid will you allow me to walk by your side who is to prevent you replied lisa a freeman can do as he likes and the road is public where do you come from from pelachina i am the daughter of yaseri the blacksmith and i am looking for mushrooms she was carrying a basket suspended from her shoulders by a cord and you baron are you from to the lobo exactly i am the young gentleman's valet he wished to equalize their ranks but lisa looked at him and laughed ah you are lying she said i am not a fool i see you are the master himself what makes you think so 
everything still how can one help it you are not dressed like a servant you speak differently you even call your dog in a foreign tongue lisa charmed him more and more every moment accustomed to be unceremonious with pretty country girls he tried to kiss her but lisa jumped aside and suddenly assumed so distant and severe an air that though it amused him he did not attempt any further familiarities if you wish to remain friends she said with dignity do not forget yourself who has taught you this wisdom asked alexis with a laugh can it be my little friend nastia your mistress's maid so this is how civilization spreads lisa felt she had almost betrayed herself and said do you think i have never been up to the manor-house i have seen and heard more than you think still chattering here with you won't get me mushrooms you go that way baron i'll go the other begging your pardon and lisa made as if to depart but alexis held her by the hand what is your name my dear aquilina she said struggling to get her fingers free let me go baron it is time for me to be home well my friend aquilina i shall certainly call on your father yesili the blacksmith for the lord's sake don't do that if they knew at home i had been talking here alone with the young baron i should catch it my father would beat me within an inch of my life well i must see you again i will come again some other day for mushrooms when to-morrow if you like my dear aquilina i would kiss you if i dared to-morrow then at the same time that is a bargain all right you will not play me false no swear it by the holy friday then i will come the young couple parted lisa ran out of the wood across the fields stole into the garden and rushed headlong into the farmyard where nastia was waiting for her then she changed her dress answering at random the impatient questions of her confidant and went into the dining-room to find the cloth laid and breakfast ready miss jackson freshly powdered and laced until she looked like a wine-glass was cutting thin slices of bread and butter her father complimented lisa on her early walk there is no healthier habit he remarked than to rise at daybreak he quoted from the english papers several cases of longevity adding that all centenarians had abstained from spirits and made it a practice to rise at daybreak winter and summer lisa did not prove an attentive listener she was repeating in her mind the details of her morning's interview and as she recalled aquilina's conversation with the young sportsman her conscience smote her in vain she assured herself that the bounds of decorum had not been passed this joke she argued could could have no evil consequences but conscience would not be quieted what most disturbed her was her promise to repeat the meeting she half decided not to keep her word but then alexis tired of waiting might go to seek the blacksmith's daughter in the village and find the real aquilina a stout pockmarked girl and so discover the hoax alarmed at this she determined to reenact the part of aquilina alexis was enchanted all day he thought about his new acquaintance and at night he dreamt of her it was scarcely dawn when he was up and dressed without waiting even to load his gun he set out followed by the faithful shogun 
and ran to the meeting-place half an hour passed in undeniable delay at last he caught a glimpse of a blue seraphine among the bushes and rushed to meet dear aquilina she smiled to see his eagerness but he saw traces of anxiety and melancholy on her face he asked her the cause and she at last confessed she had been flighty and was very sorry for it she had meant not to keep her promise and this meeting at any rate must be the last she begged him not to seek to continue an acquaintance which could have no good end all this of course was said in a peasant dialect but the thought and feeling struck alexis as unusual in a peasant in eloquent words he urged her to abandon this cruel resolution she should have no reason for repentance he would obey her in everything if only she would not rob him of his one happiness and let him see her alone three times or even only twice a week he spoke with passion and at the moment he was really in love lisa listened to him in silence promise she said to seek no other meetings with me but those which i myself appoint he was about to swear by the holy friday when she stopped him with a smile i do not want you to swear your work is enough then together they wandered talking in the wood till lisa said it is time they parted and alexis was left to wonder how in two meetings a simple rustic had gained such influence over him there was a freshness and novelty about it all that charmed him and though the conditions she imposed were irksome the thought of breaking his promise never even entered his mind after all in spite of his fatal ring and the mysterious correspondence alexis was a kind and affectionate youth with a pure heart still capable of innocent enjoyment did i consult only my own wishes i should dwell at length on the meetings of these young people their growing love their mutual trust and all they said but my pleasure i know would not be shared by the majority of my readers so for their sake i will omit them i will only say that in a brief two months alexis was already madly in love and lisa though more reticent than he was not indifferent happy in the present they took little thought for the future visions of indissoluble ties flitted not seldom through the minds of both but neither mentioned them for alexis however strong his attachment to aquilina could not forget the social distance that was between them while lisa knowing the enmity between their fathers dared not count on their becoming reconciled besides her vanity was stimulated by the vague romantic hope of at least seeing the lord of tugelovo at the feet of the daughter of a village blacksmith suddenly something happened which came near to change the course of their true love one of those cold bright mornings so common in our russian autumns ivan berestov came a-riding for all emergencies he brought with him six pointers and a dozen beaters that same morning grigory moromsky tempted by the fine weather saddled his english mare and came trotting through his agricultural estates nearing the wood he came upon his neighbor proudly seated in the saddle wearing his fur-lined overcoat ivan berestov 
was waiting for the hare which the beaters were driving with discordant noises out of the brushwood if moronsky could have foreseen this meeting he would have avoided it but finding himself suddenly within pistol-shot there was no escape like a cultivated european gentleman moronsky rode up to and addressed his enemy politely Beristov answered with the grace of a chained bear dancing to the order of his keeper at this moment out shot the hare and scudded across the field Beristov and his groom shouted to loose the dogs and started after them full speed moronsky's mare took fright and bolted her rider who often boasted of his horsemanship gave her her head and chuckled inwardly over this opportunity of escaping a disagreeable companion but the mare coming at a gallop to an unseen ditch swerved moronsky lost his seat fell rather heavily on the frozen ground and lay there cursing the animal which sobered by the loss of her master stopped at once Beristov galloped to the rescue asking if moromsky was hurt meanwhile the groom led up the culprit by the bridle Beristov helped moromsky into the saddle and then invited him to his house peeling himself under an obligation moromsky could not refuse and so Beristov returned in glory having killed the hare and bringing home with him his adversary wounded and almost a prisoner of war at breakfast the neighbors fell into rather friendly conversation moromsky asked Beristov to lend him a droshki confessing that his fall made it too painful for him to ride back Beristov accompanied him to the outer gate and before the leave-taking was over moromsky had obtained from him a promise to come and bring alexis to a friendly dinner at Pelotchina next day so this old enmity which seemed before so deeply rooted was on the point of ending because the little mare had taken fright lisa ran to meet her father on his return what has happened papa she asked in astonishment why are you limping where is the mare whose droshki is this my dear you will never guess and then he told her lisa could not believe her ears before she had time to collect herself she heard that to-morrow both the Beristovs would come to dinner what do you say she exclaimed turning pale the Beristovs, father and son dine with us to-morrow no papa you can do as you please i certainly do not appear why are you mad since when have you become so shy have you imbibed hereditary hatred like a heroine of romance come don't be afoot no papa nothing on earth shall induce me to meet the Beristovs. her father shrugged his shoulders and left off arguing he knew he could not prevail with her by opposition so he went to bed after his memorable ride lisa too went to her room and summoned nastya long did they discuss the coming visit what will alexis think on recognizing in the cultivated young lady his aculina what opinion will he form as to her behavior and her sense on the other hand lisa was very curious to see how such an unexpected meeting would affect him then an idea struck her she told it to nastya and with rejoicing they determined to carry it into effect next morning at breakfast 
Aronsky asked his daughter whether she still meant to hide from the Barostovs. Papa, she answered, I will receive them if you wish it, on one condition. However I may appear before them, whatever I may do, you must promise me not to be angry, and you must show no surprise or disapproval. At your tricks again, exclaimed Moronsky, laughing. Well, well, I consent. Do as you please, my black-eyed mischief. With these words he kissed her forehead, and Lisa ran off to make her preparations. Punctually at two, six horses, drawing the homemade carriage, drove into the courtyard and skirted the circle of green turf that formed its centre. Old Berestov, helped by two of Moronsky's servants in livery, mounted the steps. His son followed immediately on horseback, and the two together entered the dining-room, where the table was already laid. Moromsky gave his guests a cordial welcome, and, proposing a tour of inspection of the garden and livestock before dinner, led them along his well-swept gravel paths. Old Beristov secretly deplored the time and trouble wasted on such a useless whim as this anglomania, but politeness forbade him to express his feelings. His son shared neither the disapproval of the careful farmer nor the enthusiasm of the complacent anglomaniac. He impatiently awaited the appearance of his host's daughter, of whom he had often heard, for though his heart, as we know, was no longer free, a young and unknown beauty might still claim his interest. When they had come back and were all seated in the drawing-room, the old man talked over bygone days, retelling the stories of the mess-room, while Alexis considered what attitude he should assume towards Lisa. He decided upon a cold preoccupation as most suitable, and arranged accordingly. The door opened. He turned his head round with indifference, with such proud indifference, that the heart of the most hardened coquette must have quivered. Unfortunately, there came in not Lisa, but elderly Miss Jackson, whitened, laced in, with downcast eyes in her little curtsy, and Alexis's magnificent military movement failed. Before he could reassemble his scattered forces, the door opened again, and this time entered Lisa. All rose. Moronsky began the introductions, but suddenly stopped and bit his lip. Lisa, his dark Lisa, was painted white up to her ears, and penciled worse than Miss Jackson herself. She wore false fair ringlets, puffed out like a Louis the Fourteenth wig. Her sleeves, a la imbecile, extended like the hoops of Madame de Pompadour. Her figure was laced in like a letter X, and all those of her mother's diamonds, which had escaped the pawnbroker, sparkled on her fingers, neck, and ears. Alexis could not discover in this ridiculous young lady his Aculina. His father kissed her hand, and he, much to his annoyance, had to do the same. As he touched her little white fingers, they seemed to tremble. He noticed, too, a tiny foot, intentionally displayed, and shod in the most coquettish of shoes. This reconciled him a little to the rest of her attire, the white paint and black penciling, to tell the truth. In his simplicity he did not notice at first, nor indeed afterwards. Grigory Maronsky, remembering his promise, tried not to show surprise. For the rest, 
he was so much amused at his daughter's mischief that he could scarcely keep his countenance for the prim englishwoman however it was no laughing matter she guessed that the white and black paint had been abstracted from her drawer and a red patch of indignation shone through the artificial whiteness of her face flaming glances shot from her eyes at the young rogue who reserving all explanation for the future pretended not to notice them they sat down to table alexis continuing his performance as an absent-minded pensive man lisa was all affectation she minced her words drawled and would speak only in french her father glanced at her from time to time unable to divine her object but he thought it all a great joke the englishwoman fumed but said nothing ivan berestov alone felt at his ease he ate for two drank his fill and as the meal went on became more and more friendly and laughed louder and louder at last they rose from the table the guests departed and moromsky gave vent to his mirth and curiosity what made you play such tricks upon them he inquired do you know lisa that white paint really becomes you i do not wish to pry into the secrets of a lady's toilet but if i were you i should always paint not too much of course but a little lisa was delighted with her success she kissed her father promised to consider his suggestion and ran off to propitiate the enraged miss jackson whom she could scarcely prevail upon to open the door and hear her excuses lisa was ashamed she said to show herself before the visitors such a blackamoor she had not dared to ask she knew dear kind miss jackson would forgive her miss jackson persuaded that her pupil had not meant to ridicule her became pacified kissed lisa and in token of forgiveness presented her with a little pot of english white which the latter with expressions of deep gratitude accepted next morning as the reader will have guessed lisa hastened to the meeting in the wood you were yesterday at our master's sir she began to alexis what did you think of our young lady alexis answered that he had not observed her that is a pity why because i wanted to ask you if what they say is true what do they say that i resemble our young lady do you think so what nonsense she is a deformity beside you oh baron it is a sin of you to say so our young lady is so fair so elegant how can i vie with her alexis vowed that she was prettier than all imaginable fair young ladies and to appease her thoroughly began describing her young lady so funnily that lisa burst into a hearty laugh still she said with a sigh though she may be ridiculous yet by her side i am an illiterate fool well that is a thing to worry yourself about if you like i will teach you to read at once are you in earnest shall i really try if you like my darling we will begin at once they sat down alexis produced a pencil and notebook and aquilina proved astonishingly quick in learning the alphabet alexis wondered at her intelligence at their next meeting she wished to learn to write the pencil at first would not obey her but in a few minutes she could trace the letters pretty well 
how wonderfully we get on faster than by the lancaster method indeed at the third lesson aculina could read words of even three syllables and the intelligent remarks with which she interrupted the lessons fairly astonished alexis as for writing she covered a whole page with aphorisms taken from the story she had been reading a week passed and they had begun a correspondence their post-office was the trunk of an old oak and nastia secretly played the part of postman thither alexis would bring his letters written in a large round hand and there he found the letters of his beloved scrawled on coarse blue paper aquilina's style was evidently improving and her mind clearly was developing under cultivation meanwhile the new-made acquaintance between berestov and Maromsky grew stronger soon it became friendship Maromsky often reflected that on the death of old berestov his property would come to alexis who would then be one of the richest landowners in that province why should he not marry lisa old berestov on the other hand though he looked on his neighbor as a lunatic did not deny that he possessed many excellent qualities among them a certain cleverness Maromsky was related to count pronsky a distinguished and influential man the count might be very useful to alexis and Maromsky, so thought berestov would probably be glad to marry his daughter so well both the old men pondered all this so thoroughly that at last they broached the subject confabulated embraced and severally began a plan of campaign Maromsky foresaw one difficulty how to persuade his betty to make the better acquaintance of alexis whom she had never seen since the memorable dinner they hardly seemed to suit each other well at any rate alexis had not renewed his visit to Pelicina. whenever old berestov called lisa made a point of retreating to her own room but thought Maromsky, if alexis called every day betty could not help falling in love with him that is the way to manage it time will settle everything berestov troubled himself less about his plans that same evening he called his son into his study lit his pipe and after a short silence began you have not spoken about the army lately alexis has the hussar uniform lost its attraction for you no father he replied respectfully i know you do not wish me to join the hussars it is my duty to consult your wishes i am pleased to find you such an obedient son still i do not wish to force your inclinations i will not insist upon your entering the civil service at once and in the meantime i mean to marry you to whom father exclaimed his astonished son to lisa moronskaya she is good enough for anyone isn't she father i did not think of marrying just yet perhaps not but i have thought about it for you as you please but i don't care about lisa moronskaya at all you will care about her afterwards you will get used to her and you will learn to love her i feel i could not make her happy you need not trouble yourself about that all you have to do is to respect the wishes of your father i do not wish to marry and i won't you shall marry or i will curse you and by heaven 
i will sell and squander my property and not leave you a farthing i will give you three days for reflection and in the meanwhile do not dare to show your face in my presence alexis knew that when his father took a thing into his head nothing could knock it out again but then alexis was as obstinate as his father he went to his room and there reflected upon the limits of parental authority on lisa moromskaya his father's threat to make him a beggar and finally he thought of akulina for the first time he clearly saw how much he loved her the romantic idea of marrying a peasant girl and working for a living came into his mind and the more he thought of it the more he approved it their meetings in the wood had been stopped of late by the wet weather he wrote to akulena in the roundest hand and the maddest style telling her of his impending ruin and asking her to be his wife he took the letter at once to the tree trunk dropped it in and went much satisfied with himself to bed next morning firm in resolution he started early to call on moronsky and explain the situation he meant to win him over by appealing to his generosity is mr moronsky at home he asked reining up his horse at the porch no sir mr moronsky went out early this morning how provoking thought alexis well is miss lisa at home yes sir and throwing the reins to the footman alexis leapt from his horse and entered unannounced it will soon be over he thought going towards the drawing-room i will explain to miss moromsky herself he entered and was transfixed lisa no akulina dear dark akulina wearing no seraphim but a white morning frock sat by the window reading his letter so intent was she upon it that she did not hear him enter alexis could not repress a cry of delight lisa started raised her hand cried out and attempted to run away he rushed to stop her akulina akulina lisa tried to free herself mais laissez moi donc monsieur mais êtes-vous fou she repeated turning away akulina my darling akulina he repeated kissing her hand miss jackson who was an eye-witness of this scene knew not what to think the door opened and grigory moronsky entered ah cried he you seem to have settled things between you the reader will excuse me the unnecessary trouble of winding up End of The Rustic Lady by Alexander Pushkin